I think that that is the biggest problem with deepfake right now. The the security scares, the hacker stuff, like that is real, but it will be overcome, I feel. The consent is going to be a continuing issue. Hello and welcome to AI Expressed. Konnichiwa, AI Expressed. AI Expressed is a creative first AI podcast. We talk about the topics that impact creatives across the industry and how AI technology is changing the landscape. Expressed means we will go through the latest and greatest news impacting AI, and then we will dive deep into topics regarding creatives and how they use AI in their work, as well as more philosophical topics. My name is Ed Kennedy. And I'm joined here by Alex. Hi, everyone. Uh, so, Alex, let's dive into the news today. What is the latest and greatest out there in the AI world? News from ChatGPT, a new paper from Microsoft researchers on diffusion model, listed OpenAI GPT 3.5 Turbo at 20 billion parameters, effectively leaking the composition of the model. The paper has been, in fact, uh, withdrawn recently. We don't know the reasons behind, but we suspect it's because OpenAI doesn't want these numbers and this data to be uh, available. The interesting thing is that apparently from this data, it transpires that GPT 3.5 Turbo has less parameters than GPT-3 and where GPT-3.5 20, has 20 billion parameters. Yeah, and that, that lines up. I mean, they really wanted to make the API in particular quite fast with this. So we're seeing this a lot that uh, smaller models are coming out, as we mentioned previously on the previous episode. Maestral, for example, is 7 billion parameters. So it is interesting to kind of see where the big shot uh, models are landing on the parameter space. ChatGPT has also rolled out a new upgrade for many users on their Plus subscription. Now there's no need to switch between different applications. So yes, you can browse, you can use Dolly, you can use your plugins all at the same time, making this much more effective for their ChatGPT users, which is great. It's still rolling out, so you may not have it yet, but uh, you can stay tuned for that. And after the massive speed bumps brought by TensorRT last week, we have another speed bump thanks to a new paper that claims to be able to make the fusion models faster and lighter. One of the papers, which I think is part of a group of papers, is called Beyond You, the project. Yeah, and this follows up on Free You, I believe. And uh, there's, there's just a bunch of speed upgrades coming out for Stable Diffusion. It's been a very exciting time over the last week or two as people have been using this new Stable Diffusion technology. Latency consistency models is the new hotness for speed in regards to Stable Diffusion. People are actually just plugging in their webcams and uh, getting about one frame per second. So not exactly movie quality yet, but amazing to see the uh, speed increases that people have been anticipating for a very long time. Emad famously promising 30 FPS and 60 FPS, but not quite delivering on that unless maybe you have a data center GPU that you're using. But this is uh, just on consumer equipment. You can use it to, uh, to make a live prompt. So you can prompt and it will update the image as you're prompting. Also the SSD, 1 billion parameter diffusion model came out, which gives uh, some significant speed upgrades over the XDXL base model as well. So some great, uh, great updates from for stable diffusion uh, speed and efficiency. 
On the LLM side, we have Find, a startup from San Francisco, which uh, is known for their search engine, which is AI tool where you can basically Google stuff, but it will reply with an intelligent response, similar to Perplexity AI, if anyone of you has tried it. They're now coming out with their own LLM. Possibly we speculate in an attempt to stop using GPT-4 uh, as an API call for their current search engine. And this model has some huge claims to make about its performance. One of the developers says that the find model can now beat GPT-4 at programming and does it five times faster. So we are curious to see for the developments from this model, which seems very promising, and it might help find to boost their search engine efforts. Yeah, and if you try it out, uh, give it a give it a shot. See how it compares to GPT-4. People have been trying it out and saying in zero shot or one shot, it does work better. But in the uh, you know multiple step type conversations, it tends to lose the mark a little bit faster than GPT-4. So GPT-4 still wins out in some regard there. Stability came out with some great updates. Uh, well, let's say uh, announcements of an announcement. They're uh, demoing their 3D model creator coming up shortly. And uh, they had a great demo of all these little plastic characters falling from the sky, all 3D generated. 3D is the hot topic for what's to come for AI. We've seen a lot of little products and, and papers come out showing different technology, but uh, it's really impressive to see that uh, stability is coming in and they will be open sourcing their models. So expect to see a lot of innovations there. They're also launching Sky Replacer, sort of like Blockade Labs, which is kind of leading in that space at the moment with Skybox Creation for developing like 3D environments. Blockade has also got, I believe it's uh, Nerfs working, so you can kind of explore around the skybox, but we are seeing fully 3D environments coming up relatively soon. Stability is also launching a some sort of fine-tuning service for training. Not sure if that's going to be an open source tool or just a paid API. Some exciting stuff from EMAD today. Yeah, thanks to all these tools, sounds like soon we will be able to capture and reproduce environments in 3D very, very easily. And it's interesting because last week we just mentioned the Gaussian splatting uh, papers and technology. So it sounds like there's a lot of movement when it comes to text to 3D models. Huge win for Midjourney, Stability AI and DeviantArt who won one victory in their court case. It seems like they are one step nearer in winning the battle when it comes to the controversy of copyright in image generation. They won part of this court case that accuses them of infringing the copyright in their services because they are supposedly, allegedly using copyrighted images for their data sets. So a large portion of the claims in the lawsuit were dismissed as the artists had not registered their works as copyright. The judge also stated that um, the systems just simply didn't infringe on any copyright. And so this is a, a huge win for that. The prosecution can continue their case, but they're really going to have to go back to the drawing board and come up with some other way to proceed with this case because the vast majority of their claims have been dismissed. So let's jump into our discussion this week. Deepfake doomerism. 
Yes, doomerism is something that's been around for a while in AI. We've got lots of uh, people who say the sky is falling, the end is nigh. But uh, with AI, there's always not only a silver lining, but an unexpected outcome as well. So let's let's dive into it. Deepfakes have a lot of controversy around them. It is literally the uncanny valley staring us in the face. And uh, as you heard in the start of this uh, episode, I don't actually speak French, Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, German, <laughs> but I used a tool called Eleven Labs to do that AI translation for me, and it actually learned my voice and then made the words in that language, which is which is pretty impressive. Yes, the Eleven Lab technology is pretty amazing, and um, I'm looking forward for it to improve because I think it will enable a lot of content creators to have their content in so many different languages and break so many barriers when it comes to reaching different um, audiences with your content, with your art, whatever you're doing in your life. Yeah, it's funny if you look at like the top performing YouTube videos, TikToks and everything, the vast majority of them don't have any words in them at all. So they're they're taking advantage of the fact that the world doesn't have a shared language necessarily. And if you really want to get like globally viral in regards to your content, you have to make make it language free. So this is a way to open that up to creators. You know, it's funny. One of the most popular YouTube channels amongst young kids is uh, is this absolutely ridiculous game engine video thing called Skibbity Toilet and features you know, just ridiculous stuff, but there's no words in it. And it gets like 20 million views on a video, has a whole ecosystem of videos explaining the lore and secrets behind it. And there's there's just no words to it, which is, which is fascinating. Yeah, I definitely think AI will enable a world where language barriers will almost be in existence and it's happening very fast. What I'm a bit doubtful about is like how quickly the platforms are going to catch up with this. Because for example, I was discussing this with a friend today who is Italian and does multilingual content as well. And you can do multilingual content, but the platforms are not ready for that. You know, it's always very messy when you do that. You have language, you have content in one language and you have a post in one other language. And it's always very confusing. So these platforms, because of AI bringing so many languages in one entity, one person, they will need to find a way to adapt, to like provide um, a frame, a framework, um, a space where people can upload multilingual content. Because right now they're not ready, especially social networks. Yeah, it, the Eleven Labs has done a, a really amazing job at uh, pulling ahead. I think the technology that they've they've put out is is quite interesting. Open source, of course, does have some technology as well. Um, so, for example, if you're just doing text to voice, um, Bark is a open source model that works pretty well. You can also clone voices using something called RVC. These tools are out there open source. You can run them on their DUs. Audio Web UI is kind of an interface that puts all of those together. And of course, OpenAI has an open sourced Whisper, which is fantastic. We talked about it in the last episode. It's a transcription, but it can, can strive, transcribe any language, really, which is, which is super impressive. So this voice cloning, voice technology is out there. And you know, how does that sort of impact our culture, how does that affect our day to day? I have a question for you. When it comes to deep faking voice or cloning voice, the impact on culture will be huge for a number of reasons. There will be positive and negative impacts, I think. And then you can tell me your opinion. But on one side, of course, we will have fake calls, scams. For example, recently, the mayor of New York 
use the deep fake robocalls to reach out to different language speaking people in its in its town with promotional marketing content and he basically pretended he he speaks like five different languages but it's not true and fooled most of new york people were stopping him on the street complimenting him for how how good he was speaking cantonese or chinese but he doesn't speak any and the controversy there is not that he cloned his voice and and used the uh, robocalls but it's actually that he didn't disclose any of this because if he disclosed that his voice was deep faked in, in another language then i don't think there would have been any any issue the problem is that if you do, if you use that uh, deep faking and translation and dubbing uh, features and you don't say anything then you're stepping into a gray area yeah it is it is definitely a gray area and this is like i said really the uncanny valley i think like there's sort of an unnatural fear that has been, always been there for people looking at like computer generated stuff and now we're sort of realizing the why right it's like that feeling of maybe being replaced is really present with a lot of people right now. And it's driving a lot of fear in the industries where their careers are threatened. You know, for example, actors strike, right? We've got a lot of strikes in the in the industry in Hollywood, people just recognizing like, hey, these AI tools are here. We need to protect ourselves because, you know, now a voice actor is gonna be struggling if they suddenly realize, oh, my unique voice is now something that can be packaged up and sold without my input, without my guidance. Yeah. And that's definitely, you know, causing a lot of concern for people. Yeah, I was listening today to The Economist who has a voice version. And I was thinking as I was listening, they're so good as some of the best, you know, ebook style reader that I've, that I've heard of. But I was thinking like, when will The Economist decide that uh, they can just be replaced with a deepfake clone of themselves? I'm not saying that that's what that's what's going to happen but you know I can see many many magazines or ebook companies who produce for example ebook content in the form of uh, like voice to be interested in using that technology and that could be one of the negative impacts we are talking about people could lose their job because because of voice faking yeah yeah it, it's a it's a huge problem but on the other hand there are benefits to it uh, yeah I know I know I, I don't want to get sucked into the doomerism hole too <laughs> too much here because yeah, yeah. you got to really look at both sides of it. So for example, with voice cloning, now if someone's making a video game themselves, maybe a solo dev or a very small team, doing the voice acting is, is a huge part of the costs for getting that compelling narrative experience, right? I mean, a lot of solo devs just don't even have voice in their game because they don't have the ability to get that budget and do that until maybe they've had like a couple hits. So the indie indie game scene is like quite, quite ruthless, right? So now the ability for anyone to cast, you know, actors is, is very prevalent and it's lowering the barrier of entry to have that more immersive game experience, more immersive TV and film, right? Talk about translating films. I mean, Eleven Labs was founded by these two Polish guys because of the fact that they watched terribly dubbed American films. And uh, they were like, this is awful. We need, we need to like figure out how to, how to fix this. And they went and made 11 labs. So I think that's, that's like really driving a lot of, a lot of the positive progress here is there's a, a real need for it at the moment. Yeah, and at the beginning we were talking about how content creators can reach a wider audience by dubbing and translating their content with deep fake voice. And that's definitely another aspect that can fall into the category umbrella of positive you know, outcomes from technologies like this. Now, I do want to say one other thing here in regards to this voice cloning. 
on the darker side, it's just more like a word of caution for people. A lot of folks have, after realizing the technology that's out there, are contacting their loved ones, their parents, and giving them a unique password, something only that they would know, because the voice cloning is so effective. It can be done with 15 seconds of audio from the speaker, and they're are reports of people getting phone calls like from saying it's it's the son, it's the daughter and I need money, I'm stranded and it sounds exactly like their voice. So having that password is that's very important right now and a lot of people are concerned about it, rightfully so. Yeah, it's interesting how that could become a part of uh, general culture, you know, the idea that everyone has a password in the future, because uh, voice uh, cloning will be so common that maybe it will be like a joke between you and your children. What's your password? What's your code? What's your safe word? Because uh, these kind of scams are easy to pull off and they will become viral. And but it's an easy, it's an easy adjustment to make, but it's just so interesting to think about how it will be permeating uh, the, the culture in general. Yeah, I mean, a, a major concern, of course, are senior citizens who like these kind of scams are aimed at. So that's it's a huge, huge problem, especially in the US. But also, this also brings up like another thing, which is two-factor voice authentication is used by some services, some cell phone companies, some banks, some other services, and that's no longer safe. So definitely consider evaluating what you're using for your authentication method methods because uh, it's a big concern. The other thing is uh, there's also shifts in the visual space. So the let's let's talk a bit about the kind of visual deepfake. Yeah, I mean, I guess the example that most of us uh, have been exposed to is the the big Hollywood uh, de-aging phenomenon. Big actors like Harrison Ford or Robert De Niro in big blockbusters are often de-aged to look younger or to interpret a part that they, they couldn't do without de-aging. And that's probably the phenomenon that most people have been uh, exposed to when it comes to deepfakes. At least, at least it was very popular in the news for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, at Run Diffusion, we have launched Reactor and, and Roop in the past. We got a lot of client demand for it. Of course, we don't allow any not safe for work on the platform. And there are filters built into these tools, thankfully, Roop and Reactor, as well as the new one, Face Fusion, which does video. But uh, there's been a huge, huge demand for it. And um, at first, I was a little hesitant about it. Like I don't I didn't know, but when talking with industry people, they said like basically this is already out there. It's now just like giving access to more people cuz the example I got was VFX people. Like if you have a stunt person, you need to replace their face. They've been doing this for a long time. It's just the technology is better now and it's easier, but it's it's definitely something that's been out there for a while. Exactly. I was thinking about before that people are talking more about deep faking with the surge of AI in general since the boom with ChatGPT, but actually deep faking, as you said, has been around a long, long time. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if you've ever used a service that requires like a webcam authentication or you take a like, you know, passport picture. Mm -hmm. These are all like scarily threatened by this technology. Yes. Um, I remember early on, there was one where it was like uh, banks were being informed to you know, if you're doing an interview with someone or it was like coding or something, if you're doing an interview with someone, tell them to turn left and right on the webcam, look to each side because that's where the shearing of the, the face replacement comes in, right? Yeah. You think about like 
how this technology can be used for like job interviews or like serious authentication risks. There was a post today about a guy who used uh, ChatGPT to ace rocket science interviews. He has no idea. He's just using ChatGPT live to do this. You combine that with <laughs> deep fake replacement, uh, face fusion uh, video live. And uh, this is this is a serious, serious risk. But at the same time, is this something that can be detected, overcome by AI? That's an open question. Yeah, for me, the silver lining, you know, all of what you just said is that probably because of these people will find new value in in-person relationships. You know, there will be there will be people will want more to see each other face to face in a way, possibly because I mean, not because of fear, but just because we will be surrounded by so much generated content and generated faces and generated stuff that there will be a, a rejuvenated need of in-person, real, unfiltered opportunities of socialization and just something as simple as just seeing your friend face-to-face -face and or just seeing a person you met online face-to-face -to, -face to not worry about is this like a deep-faked person, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the authenticity aspect of it is is very important. And the future, like, is this going to isolate us, right? Or is it going to bring us closer together? That's a real thing. So you talk about authenticity. Right now, there's a lot of uh, deep faked LinkedIn profile pictures yeah. going around. Everyone's like, get your, your AI profile pic for LinkedIn, the perfect shot, the perfect like everything, right? No need to airbrush, to Photoshop. You just like look great every time. And it's interesting because people are saying like, well, you can do that or just be authentic, be yourself, be be real. I mean, I have an AI generated one that's creative, but I'm in that industry. So I think it's, I think it's all right. But if I'd advise someone, just be yourself, be real. I think that's so important because of our society now, like that authenticity is going to be valued much more of that reality. It will be valued yeah. as we start to recognize what AI looks like, although it does keep continually surprising us, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I'm positive though. I think, I think it will bring us together both in the virtual world and in the real world. I don't think people will be scared because of the increased amount of deepfakes. If anything, I think we will find ways to take value in both a virtual presence and a real presence. For example, I think many people saw the Lex Friedman podcast with the interview with Zuckerberg, where they basically connect with a headset and uh, through uh, face scans and uh, deepfaking technology, and through the metaverse, they can see each other as if, if they were in the same space. And I think, you know, in the future, this experience will be an opportunity to see people that you would not normally able to see otherwise because they're too far or too busy. People will, will find treasure in that rather than being scared of, oh my God, is this a real person? You know, who am I talking with? It's hard to explain how, but I think we will adapt in a way that will make us able to, you know, of course, come closer together, both in real life and in the virtual space. That's, that's yes, I agree. I agree. It's an interesting confluence of forces. You've got on the one hand, now the computer is the computer, the AI is able to make uncanny resemblance to you. And that's scary. But also that enables you to have more of yourself in your online presence. It allows you to really be yourself. And I think that right now, this is this is fascinating for like, for example, people with disabilities have been like just overjoyed at the capabilities that AI brings to them. I've 
you know, personally, when I was growing up, there was a person in my class that had a severe disability where they were only able to communicate by pushing their head left or right on a switch. So the words would come up on the screen of their laptop that was in front of them at all times, and then they would click the word and it would, you know, start to write a sentence for them. So it's taking a very long time for them to communicate, but they were able to to communicate. Now, if you think about an LLM, right, it's filling in the blanks of those words and just making it that much faster. And now they can communicate with voice practically real time. It's going to be very empowering to a lot of people with disabilities. Yes. And that's a real story that we wanted to touch on, uh, basically about this woman who, thanks to a mixture of uh, sensor and LLMs, is is able to speak again after a stroke. So it's not much different from the, the example of your friend who was only able to speak like bouncing her head on something. It's just that now maybe that same person, thanks to the sensors and an LLM making the work of interpreting what he's trying to say, can now speak again in an easier and less tedious way. It's also a huge boon for people who struggle with like companionship. And yes, the, you know, future, the doomerism would say that this is all isolating technology and that they're not actually talking to a real person. But the AI companions have become a very, very prevalent thing in this space. And yeah, I, I do believe that there are benefits to giving people someone to talk to. People with mental health issues, you know, can have someone who will not reject them based on what they're saying, who will, you know, potentially stand with them and help them through the difficult times when they normally may not have an ear to listen to. And the tools are getting better at, you know, guiding the human mind along towards towards enabling them in, in what they're doing. Now, on I say enabling because yes, with open source technology, you know, you may be removing the safety rails, they say. This is like a common doomerist claim, right? Is like the safety rails are gone, you can do anything you want. But, you know, I think that the, the thing is, is, these are human powered devices at the moment. They don't think for themselves. And so if someone's going down that road, that dark road with no safety rails and they want that experience, then they can get that experience. There's not like the human will is is not going to be stopped by something like a chat bot, as we know, right? If anything, it might give these people an outlet rather than going real life and do something dark in real life. They could have an outlet that they can use to discharge this negative, uh, you know, things that they want to do or say to someone that they are not going to be able to, to harm. Yeah. And people will continue to, to make good chatbots and the companion experience will get real. Now, of course, there's things like Meta with their Snoop Dogg Dungeon Master and, <laughs> you know, uh, Mr. Beast, who's going to roast you and, and all this stuff. But there are really beautiful things that people are making with with language models, with voice. And I think that's just going to continue because, you know, we do kind of want to make AI in our in our essence and in, in, in to capture who we are, but and reflect it back to us. So it's hard when you say like, oh, this this technology is terrible. And you're like, that's just a reflection of who we are. Yeah. It's like where we are in the moment. And if we can't look at ourselves, if we can't, you know, if we only see the bad sides of ourselves in the mirror, then 
we're doing a disservice to ourselves and we're making things a lot more bleak than they need to be. Yeah, and going back to the actors example, that's that kind of deep faking has has been seen as positive, right? As a positive um, enabling act, enabling these actors to play parts that resemble a younger self, for example. And I don't see why something of that kind would be negative if applied to normal people. Yeah, I think that the technology, this like de-aging, for example, you know, the, the technology is there to do a lot of good for people. A lot of people have theorized that Zuck, Zuckerberg, what he's working on is a way to like archive the dead. I don't know. I don't, this is a theory, you know, maybe it's a, one of those out there theories, but he's looking at a, like, he's kind of working towards that technology. You think <clears> about like this, this tech he used on the interview, right? To have that person feel like they're really there. And I think that that technology could be used for this purpose. I saw a very, very heartwarming tweet the other day where a, someone had lost their dog, unfortunately, and the dog had just gotten really old and was sick. And they took a photo of it in 3D and rendered the environment that they wanted the dog to be in. You know, the dog wanted to be by the beach, but it was too sick to move. So they brought the virtual dog to the beach and they have that scene for them to visit at any time. And I do think that there's going to be an interesting period where we're going to be learning again how to mourn our, our loved ones because now they will be gone, but we will also have the ability to still communicate with them or relive those key moments. And it's a it's a fascinating future. I don't know what that looks like, but there's there's a big cultural shift coming in that regard. That story about the dog is it's very heartbreaking. It, it's very moving. And it brings back to my mind an article that I just read about a data scientist who cloned the personality of a group chat he used to have with his friends. He pulled he pulled the data from the group chat and he he trained a model to behave like the friends that were part of this group chat and he effectively recreated this group chat as a chatbot where where the participant behave and speak as his friends used to do to this on this chat that doesn't exist anymore. He did it as a, as a game, but also was a form of emotional outlet and support in, in hard times to just uh, bring back to life something he used to enjoy, a social activity. And he, he was able to bring it back through AI and and, uh, and training an LLM. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I also saw someone who trained it, an AI model on their like, teenage live journals and they, they were like i'm not sharing this with anyone but it is really great right so imagine that if you could like talk to your 15 year old self you yes. know and just like reflect back on that period in your life with an ai bot that is like being like your 15 year old self it is it is really really fascinating and in this distant future we've got where we can recreate ourselves fully, there's something really interesting talking about archiving people who are passing away. There's a whole generation of people right now, the like boomers, the the, the older generation um, who have so much wisdom, have so much knowledge. There's a, a really fascinating guy on Twitter, Brian Rommel. I love following this guy. He's got so much interesting content and he's been ahead of the curve. He knew voice was coming. He knew all of this was coming and he's been talking about it for years and it's amazing to see it validated. So he started something called Wisdom Keeper and basically it's 1,000 questions 
that you would ask a loved one or someone who you really value their opinion and you want to like understand them a lot better. You record their voice, you record them answering these questions and it's like a time capsule because it's not for now, it's for in the future as the technology continues to develop, you'll be able to go and train a model on these questions and speak to that person and keep it like archives them. You know, it, it, it's who they are in essence with 1000 question fidelity, but that's who they are. And uh, I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's like planning for this future where AI is so much more powerful is, uh, is empowering. Yes, I can see myself wanting to use something like a, like a reproduction of a dead loved one in the future. I'm not sure entirely if I would enjoy it, but I think it's just the idea of having the option is nice. But I want to say something very evil to to ruin oh, no. all the all the positive oh, things uh, all the positive things sunshine. you said okay, uh, okay. so far <laughs> to ruin you know all this positivity which is like it's interesting to think how in the future because so much of the right of the written content we are producing nowadays is is uh, AI generated how that will pollute our reproduction of ourselves you know mm. the the number the amount of text we produce is increasingly becoming a product of uh, ai and if then we use that text to train an ai to simulate our personality how much of our personality is really in that reproduction yeah i can see that like if we're looking for like you know Samuel L. Jackson videos in the future, there's just going to be so many AI-generated <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson videos, right? And it's like, who's this real person? For example, a lot of people use Notion, right, to do diaries. And they use the assistant in Notion, the AI assistant, to maybe help them to write something. And we don't know that that specific paragraph is not their own tone of voice, their own personality in that text. But if in the future their son opened their notion to start turning an AI, they're not aware of the fact that a lot of that content doesn't really reflect the personality of the of the person writing right. it, but is actually a product of the assistant, therefore mm -hmm. making their reproduction not accurate in a way. Yeah, so this I feel like this might be a temporary issue because we are going to get better models that have a higher fidelity over who we are. But then it's mm. like, okay, is our self being annihilated, consumed by the AI? That's the real concern, right? And again, it's that uncanny valley. It's that augmentation of AI. Is it taking away from the essence of our self? And where yes. I kind of see this going is like, well, the way I see it, we don't know where it's going. So yes. it, to me, it doesn't feel like right now I'm worried about it personally no, yeah. anyways, because because this the technology is going to be brain implants. It's going to be like uh, agents. You're going to have yes. AI versions of yourself. And it's like, where where does that, it's the self being diluted or is our experience authentic and we will be able to control our future digital identity in this AI future. And that comes down to laws and it comes down to technology and it comes down to our, again, human free will on what we decide to do with ourselves. Yes, uh, I, I am positive about the future too. I, I just think it's it's a very, it's an inevitable question to ask because it's a challenge that we will have to overcome as humanity, you know, the, the, the danger of polluting our identities and our culture with AI generated content. It's just a challenge. It's not something we should be doomers about and worried about. It's just something that we need to find a way to, to overcome. Interestingly, it reflected also in, um, in a very popular question that was uh, floating around the internet a few months ago about when they are training the new ChatGPT version, how much content upon which G4 will be uh, trained on is AI generated, making 
you know, ChatGPT5 may be less good than ChatGPT4. It's just an interesting conundrum. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm not asking it as a, as a way to, to, to make people scared. I just think it's a challenge that we need to think about and, and, uh, and overcome because it's, it's real. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that we will overcome it. Well, I, I want to join you in the doomerism. <laughs> I want to I get a little dark with you. So I think that this entire episode would be remiss if we didn't mention one of the key things about deepfakes, which Mm -hmm. is consent. I think that that is the biggest problem with deepfake right now. The the security scares, the hacker stuff, like that is real, but it will be overcome, I feel. The consent is going to be a continuing issue because, you know, we talked about that digital identity of yourself in the future. What if someone decides that they want to keep talking to you their view of you. Mm-hmm. So now they have their perception of you is th- that they're talking to. Now, this is already a problem with people in just every day is you run into these people who have a very different idea of you in their head. And then when you talk to them, they like get weirded out by your behavior because they have a different person in their head that they think you are, right? It's yeah. Joseph Campbell talked about it as the shattering of the anima, right? This idea of this like person who you thought was something and you have to lose that entire perspective in your head in order to really see the person that's there that exists. And if there's no consent for these images of ourselves, how can we really be ourselves? Because we'll be split into so many different pieces, so many different perceptions. It's a problem that exists already, but it's going to be a new layer to this problem with deep faking. Yes, I think the, the issue of consent shouldn't eventually be too hard to solve. What I'm afraid of is rather that the nature of the issue, the fundamental issue is that it stems from the nature of internet, where all the content is freely accessible and there's no there's no barriers. You can go and scrape a website, you can go and download uh, all the scripts uh, from a movie containing a specific address that you want to emulate. There's no barriers. And I can see politicians in the future trying to as, as they did in, in the past, to kill the nature of the internet, which is a free space where you can, you know, can take most of what you see into something that is way more gatekept in order to protect you from, uh, from other people or state entities to, to, to steal your identity. Because it's thanks to the internet, if we can easily reproduce someone else's identity, we can go on a chat and just like copy paste all the conversation and use it to fine tune a model, you know, or, or the script example I did before. And I think there are solutions to avoid, to avoid the uh, government doing that what I've just mentioned, but also, you know, we need to think about what they are. Yeah, I'm not as positive about you that consent is going to be handled with. I think it is going to be continue to be an issue because, well, think about like X porn on the internet, right? Like X ex-girlfriend porn or whatever. Like there's an issue where consent is clearly violated. It causes a huge problem for that person, wrecks their life potentially. You know, high school kids do this stuff. It gets in the news in the US. It's a huge problem. And now... You know, they have the technology to put someone's face on some other naked person, right? And that's that's a huge, huge issue. I think that there's definitely some issues with like how we handle this at the moment, just in general, before without even taking AI into consideration, you know, that the the way that the courts treat these things is is not correct. So it's sort of in a similar way to like 
the job replacement where there's a lot of forces in laws in how we handle things like how people are paid and what workers' rights are and so forth that is not handled very well either. And so the when the AI technology comes out, that just makes the problem worse. I think we are going to have that sort of problem, right? Where it's like the catfish thing is is one one aspect of it, but the real problems with like celebrities especially are going to be put everywhere right and and it's it's going to be a huge problem and it's just going to get more and more real there's going to be 3D there's going to be virtual stuff and it's going to get weirder and weirder and weirder i think scarlett johansson was just in the news today where she sued someone for using her likeness of her voice in an advertisement and that's just like the tip of the barrel she's lucky enough to have the power and the ability to bring these people to court but the average person just simply doesn't have the ability to go out and uh, and pursue this kind of thing and, and get justice for their identity or their sense of safety is is violated. Before we bring it, we go too far into the doomerism, uh, I think uh, we could mention something that actually brings it back to a positive note when it comes especially to the topic you just mentioned of uh, voice cloning. For example, Grimes uh, used this as a, as a positive uh, business venture. She created a website where people could go and create music with her voice by paying a small fee or agreeing to give, uh, I think... 50 or 70% of any revenue they would make of out of the music. And so that's an example of actually artists taking advantage of the technology and not being scared of actually letting people use it and monetize out of the use rather than trying to block it and to stop it or trying to sue the people who are responsible for the defaking. They're actually making it, you know, a monetizable feature of themselves. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll ease off the doomer. Let's sort of wrap <laughs> things up. There's two other things I wanted to mention. Um, one is uh, the Beatles just released an album today. Sorry, not an album, a song. And it features John Lennon. So they did uh, voice separation technology has finally come to the place where they're able to split his vocals out. There's a really nice video about it. And it's the last song that the Beatles will ever do, thanks to AI as well. You know, I talked about consent. Porn stars are front center on this, of course, as their likenesses are being used. And some of them are taking a stand. Riley Reed, famous porn star, is uh, creating an AI companion of herself. And she's started a startup to enable other porn stars to have AI companions. And uh, she's decided to, you know, go in and lead and create the AI identity that she wants. So she's taking control over what this bot can or cannot say. Like for example, she's very pro-trans rights. What is What happens if that bot gets into an argument with someone who is against trans rights. She's also, you know, answering in like facts as well. Like what's her dog's names and that kind of thing. So I think that's really interesting and we will see that people have to take control over their digital identity. And, you know, I think that uh, the authenticity again will, will rule, you know, what is worth people's time. I think as we improve our authenticity, the technology will improve equally. And so, yeah, yeah we're in um, a much better place. I'm absolutely curious to see how, what the impact will be on authenticity, as you said. I think that will be certainly like the key, the key topic. People will put so much more emphasis and attention on authenticity being being authentic and verifying the authenticity of the things they see. And I'm just there's challenges along the way, of course, but I'm very excited to see how it's going to develop. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of surprises along the way and a lot of cool tools that we can use to help ourselves 
you know, to embody identities we want to embody, you know, enabling us to spread our message or our selves uh, more than we did before. So it's it's a balance of things, you know, and I'm excited to see what what both sides are going to bring to the table, both the bad ones and the and the good <laughs> ones, you know, because the bad ones are always are bad, but are always entertaining, at least. Well, you, I'm glad you, you find it entertaining. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there there is a there is a lot of doomerism out there. And so it's important to just remember both sides of the story and take that into consideration. Yeah, so let's wrap this up. Thanks everyone for for listening. This is podcast is sponsored by Run Diffusion. We do have Face Fusion and other fun tools that you can try if you want to try uh, cloning your voice or anything. Head on over to rundiffusion.com. We have a 30-minute free trial. Alex, anything on your side? You can follow me and add on our our social media. We are very active on both very active on LinkedIn and it would be nice to to see your to see you there. Yeah, and talking about authenticity, if any if any of the people listening are Italian, I have started with a friend to hold in-person events, uh, educational events about AI with the intention of uh, bridging the skills gap when it comes to AI. So if you're interested, I'll leave uh, some details in the in the description and I'll I hope to see your real faces over there. Awesome. Well, this has been AI Expressed. Thanks, everyone, and have an authentically wonderful day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.